Welcome, Parkview. We're glad to have you here. Welcome to all of our campuses. Glad to have you guys here, too. Um, hope you got enough sleep. I was, I was about to go to bed, and I got an email from my neighbors that the neighbors were having a party. So, I mean, like, I'm like, really? The night we lose an hour's sleep, we're doing this around a bonfire, but it was great. I got to meet some more of my neighbors and uh, have some more Parkview discussions. And I want to encourage you, um, as you're doing that, um, don't, don't stay up late, you know, if you don't have to, but as you're doing that, I want to encourage you to be inviting your friends and your neighbors and your family to Easter, because uh, we do 20 Easter services at Parkview. And I got these cards for you to grab on the way out that have all the times on them. We start on Thursday night, believe it or not, um, Thursday night, and then Friday, and then Saturday, and Sunday. We have 20 spread across all of our campuses. And I, I just want to encourage you to be inviting people because people know about Parkview. People know what's going on around here. And, uh, you know, we, we start on Thursday because sometimes people have to go out of town. Maybe April Fool's Day is when your family always goes on vacation, you know. So, um, it, it, you know, you could come on Thursday. You can, you can come on Friday. They're all the same. I mean, 20 of them. You're not going to want to miss it. Easter at Parkview.com is where you go. Or Easter at Parkview, yeah, dot com is where you go to get information and and just invite people okay um and, and i'll just i'll just throw in um the loop is now a christian station and um i, I don't i i don't know i don't know if you should clap or not i mean christian rock jesus i i like them both i i i i just don't know why we couldn't have blended them you know could have had like i can only imagine followed by stairway to heaven followed by highway to hell and <laughs> I think it should be two-thirds classic rock. I'm just saying, I don't, they didn't ask me, okay? How was your week? Was it good? I had weird news this week. I got a phone call that, um, that the IRS uh, says I owe them money, and the cops are going to come and arrest me. Yeah, and it seems strange coming from Idaho, because I didn't know the government worked out of Idaho. But the good news is, if I call them back with my banking and credit card information, they think they can get me out of it. Yay, so it's not, not so bad, right? Have you been getting those calls too? Yeah? Okay. I, I think those scammers ought to be stuck in a room with Raymond Reddington's interrogator on the blacklist. Can I get an amen from, you know, the guy with the snake and the bunnies? I mean, I, mean, I think they should put him, I mean, I, listen, if you're listening to me right now, Jesus loves you, but He's a better person than me. That's all I can say, okay? The, the problem I have is that I know people who've been taken in by that scam, and it just, it's frustrating to me. Uh, you know, it makes me angry, you know? And honestly, part of it is that I, I, I thought they only targeted old people, so maybe, maybe that's really more my problem. It's not bad enough when you're getting all those AARP cards, you know, in the mail. Now I'm getting called by the IRS scammers. I mean, come on, what's next? The funeral home? I'm not dead yet. Listen, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't like crooks taking advantage of gullible people for two reasons, okay? And one is obvious, gullible people get taken advantage of. But the second is, every time something like that happens, uh, there's a little bit more of this cynical cloud that kind of follows on top of us, you know, kind of comes in on us. Like, well, I don't know if I can believe, I don't believe that, and if I can't believe that, then maybe I can't believe that. There's too little proof for everything that we hope is going to be real. I mean, I'm guessing that most of you have heard the story that we're going to celebrate around here Easter weekend. You know, Jesus died on a cross for your sins and he rose again the third day and that that same power that was in him and changed him and raised him is available to you. And that's good news. And we've heard about new life, but maybe you're cynical today. Maybe you've not seen as much transformation as you thought you were going to. 
My, my belief, personally, is that it's not a scam. It's not that you, you know, it's not like if you give us money, we'll get you out of your made-up IRS deal. It's not like if we offer Hollywood stars a jet ski, maybe they'll make shorter speeches on the Oscars. It's not nonsense like that. I believe that this is real. This is the most important thing that ever happened in human history. But how can I help you believe if you're cynical? So what we decided to do over the next few weeks around here is uh, we're doing this series at the cross, and what we're going to do is we're going to call the witnesses. All right? Well, we're going to look at some of the key players in the drama. Uh, One of the ways that you could tell whether something's real or not, you've seen enough crime TV, right? One of the ways that you'll know if something's real or not is by calling the witnesses. That's what they do, okay? And some of these will be people we don't really know very much about, and we're going to have to draw some conclusions about. Some of them won't even be necessarily the key players in the drama. Some of them we don't even know their names, like one of the guys today, okay? I'm going to talk about three of them today. All, All we know is that they came to the cross and they saw something. And they were never the same again. Now, it wasn't always positive, right? Some of them didn't change, and it changed them in the long run. Some of them, we don't even know what happened. But as we go back to the cross, I just want to, I want to like stand beside them. I want to I hear their stories. I, I want to I see what they saw. Because I believe the cross still offers transformation. I believe the cross offers us new life. And I'm not just talking about after we die and we get to live somewhere else where everything is perfect and there's no evil. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's possible. Your habits can be overcome. Your attitudes can be improved. Your relationships can be mended. Your personalities, my personalities can be refined. And for some it'll happen overnight. For some it may take a while, but I believe that it's possible. Heard about a family from a remote village out in the outskirts of a developing country that made their first visit to the city. They'd never been to the city. They'd never seen office buildings. They'd never seen anything. And they walked into this office building for the very first time and saw their first elevator. They had no idea what it was or what it was for. The older father just watched, and the the doors opened, and this elderly woman scooted in in her walker, kind of scooted in, and all of a sudden, the big doors closed, and he just stood there and watched, wondering what was going to happen. Pretty soon, the doors opened, and out walked a stunningly beautiful young woman. (laughs) He couldn't stop staring. Without turning his head, he just said, son, go get your mother. For some, it's an instant transformation, literally at the cross. For, for some, it literally happens just like that. For most people, I think it's a gradual process. And for some people, there is no transformation because they don't allow it to happen. But the power of the cross is there. So let's call our first witness. It is a centurion. We don't even know his name. The centurion was uh, the guy that was in charge. Okay, he was the one that took his hat off there. He's try, trying to run everything. He's the guy who's been there from the beginning to the end. He's in charge of 100 soldiers. He's a centurion. That's how the name came up. And he's the one that's responsible for, for the cross. So I'm going with at the cross by duty for the centurion, okay? All we know about him is he was a professional soldier. Death and blood and killing are a normal part of this guy's life. Most likely, he's a military officer. As as a military officer, he's an unbeliever. He's a skeptic who was there to just ensure that the crucifixion went well. Now, Jesus had a centurion come to him and ask him to heal uh, his kid one time. There's there's no reason to believe that these are the same two, and here's why. It seems like if, if the centurion, if 
the guy in charge of the crucifixion would have been a follower of Jesus, he might have done his duty, but he certainly wouldn't have let it go as bad as it went. I mean, he let everybody do everything they wanted to to Jesus. He had no compassion. He had no pity. And yet, when he watched all of that happen, when he watched Jesus die, he made this incredible statement. Remember, he's our first witness. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, it is finished, and saw how he died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. That's all we know. We don't know his name. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know if any transformation happened. All we know is, as an impartial witness, he gives a very powerful testimony to something that happened in front of him. And the same thing is true for you. It's up to you to decide whether something is going to happen at the cross or not. And I want to encourage you, as I've been saying a lot around here, to to do it for yourself. I want to encourage you to read for yourself. I want you to encourage you to dig into this. We're doing the one million chapter challenge here. We talk about it all the time. At Parkview, we're trying to read a million chapters of the Bible this year. We're excited about it. And we figured out that if if we start the Gospel of Luke right about now, which is day 61, if you're in the plan. If you, if you haven't caught up, just skip up to 61. And, and if you haven't even started it, you can jump in right there if you want. Or read John, that's the beginning. But 61, day 61 starts the Gospel of Luke. And you'll only have to double up a couple of days to read a chapter a day and be right at the crucifixion on Good Friday and at Easter, right there at Easter time. And I'd, I'd encourage you to read it for yourself. Here's what the centurion saw. Here's just some of it. At the sixth hour, this is Mark's account, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Centurion had never seen that before. Something weird's going on here. When they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him. Here's Luke's. Along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Okay? There's weird supernatural stuff going on. This guy who's being crucified on the cross, who's been very silent and very compliant as they put him on the cross, is looking down at the people who put him up there and asking God to forgive them. You can't help but wonder if everybody there thought, well, if he's willing to forgive them, maybe there's hope for me. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. And the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. You ever read that before? Yeah, it was, it was like a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. Calvin Miller wrote, the earth shuddered in her awful crime. And the centurion saw the darkness, and he felt the ground shake, and he, and he saw the temple being split up, and he saw this man who had compassion looking down from the cross, this man forgiving the people who put him up there, and said, surely this is the Son of God. That's just a witness from the cross. That's all we know about him. Let's call witness number two. His name is Simon. Who is this guy? Simon of Cyrene. We don't know a whole lot about him, but here's what I'm going with. At the cross by force. At the cross by force. What do we know about Simon? Cyrene, okay? He's not from Jerusalem. He's from a city in Libya. He's come in. He's coming in for the Passover feast. This is once a year big deal for the Jews. Doubtful that he knows anything about Jesus. Doubtful that anybody's been Snapchatting about this Jesus thing and this crucifixion. He's just literally on his way into town. Jesus is stumbling along under the weight of the cross. Whose cross? My cross. Simon's cross, he doesn't know it. 
Jesus is having a hard time bearing the weight because he's been scourged 39 times with this whip that had nine different things on the end of it, bone and metal, and he's been torn to shreds by this thing. And he's got a crown of thorns on his head where you bleed a lot, and he's bleeding out, and he's been beaten, and he hasn't had any sleep or food or anything to drink, and, and he's barely making it. And finally somebody, Caiaphas, I mean the centurion, says, hey, you know what? You've got to do something with this. Find somebody. They pick Simon. They pick Simon. Listen to this. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way in from the country. See, he, he, he couldn't have known what was going on. And they forced him to carry the cross. I, I bring this up because maybe at the cross by force is where you're at today. Maybe you're a young person and you're here because your parents are like, I'm not feeding you anymore if you don't come to church with me, right? Maybe you're like me. I, you know, I talk about my drug problem I had when I was a kid, right? I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. I was drugged to church on Sunday night. I was drugged to church on Tuesday night. And I was drugged to church on Wednesday night. I mean, that, that, that's how it went for me. Maybe that's how it was for you, at the cross by force, okay? Maybe, maybe it's your marriage, maybe whatever it is. You're kind of like, I'm not, I'm not sure I really want to be in this thing. I'm not, I'm not sure I really want to be here. Many of you, like me, you grew up, you know, going to Sunday school. You had CCD, maybe if you're Catholic. You went to a Christian school or Catholic school. Did anybody, was anybody ever a whirly bird? Do you know what a whirly bird is? Anybody? Was this my church? Is the only ones that did this? We, look, look at this picture. It's not bad enough that as a fourth grader, I had to go to church on Sunday night. I had to wear that beanie. We were whirly birds. And then when you got out of that, you became a jet cadet. I can't believe none of you had to go through this like I did. I mean, could we have made being a Christian any more dorky than it already was? For a fourth grader, right? I've already got you. My friends are going to stay home and watch Wonderful World of Disney, and i got to go to church and wear that beanie. I mean, this is just wrong. And the Bible says the soldiers forced Simon to help. He was probably, I, I, can't, I can't tell you, but he was probably angry. He was probably embarrassed. You know, he, he, he was coming into town for this big festival with his family. He spent money to make it happen. He's probably wearing his best clothes, right? And then they go, oh, no, you've got to carry this cross, which is bloody and it's dirty and it's rough. And people are watching. He's probably carrying it going, it's not my cross. I'm just carrying it, you know. I mean, you can imagine what that would have felt like, humiliating. But he couldn't refuse the soldiers, so he just did it. And he became the last person to provide any relief for Jesus' agony. He was the only person who got to help Jesus with my cross. That's pretty crazy. I don't know if he counted it a privilege. I don't think he was excited about it. You have to doubt it. But, 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 but it's just doubtful that he was a disciple because he's coming in from out of town. So he literally just got thrown into this thing. And I believe something happened at the cross. I don't know if Jesus said, thank you. I don't know if he read the sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and something clicked in his head. I don't know if he stuck around to hear the final sayings of Jesus from the cross and thought, who is this guy, and started to investigate it. But we have to believe that something happened to Simon. Do you know why I say that? 
Well, let's just put our investigator hats back on again. What does it say? A certain man from Cyrene. Okay, this is Mark. He's later writing to the church about the things about Jesus. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Who's Alexander and Rufus? That should be your question. I mean, if I introduce you to an old man today and I say, hey, this is the father of Engelbert Humperdinck. Many of you, most of you, are going to go, who in the earth is that? And I'd have to say, well, that's an English pop star from the old days who took the worst stage name in human history. He was literally named Engelbert Humperdinck. But you don't know him, so it doesn't matter. If I introduce you to an old man and I say, this is the father of Todd Clark, you, you would probably go, oh, yeah, I've heard Todd preach. I know. At least there's some familiarity there, right? I mean, normally I wouldn't point out someone who was related to someone else unless you knew who the someone else was, which makes it fascinating. And it makes it likely that Rufus and Alexander, talk about two different baby names, right? Rufus and Alexander were well known in the Christian community. So that's why Mark offered this explanation. There's a whole Father's Day sermon in here if you unpack this. Think about it. I mean, from what we can tell, that Simon went from walking down the road one day to a soldier grabbing him and throwing him down to pick up the cross to being a believer to raising some boys, I'm assuming Rufus was a boy, who got involved enough in the early church that everybody knows Alexander and Rufus. Can you process that? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul later says in, in his letter to the church at Rome, he says, greet Rufus, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother. In all likelihood, that's Simon's son and Simon's wife. We don't have all the facts. Couldn't have been that many Rufuses around you guys. Come on. I'm not the only, we don't know, but I'm not the only person who believes that Simon of Cyrene became a believer because he came into contact with the cross that day on the road to Calvary and his faith letter later spread to his wife and to his sons. And years later, perhaps after his death, his widow and one of his sons becomes a source of encouragement to the Apostle Paul. So, so, so he goes from at the cross by force to at the cross forever because he's become a Christian to at the cross with his family. All, all, in, all in one transformation, all in one interaction with the cross. Warren Wiersbe said, Simon came to the Jerusalem to sacrifice the Passover lamb and he met the lamb of God who was sacrificed for him. And he let it transform him. It's up to us. One more. Caiaphas. Who is Caiaphas? He was at the cross with pride. He's one that didn't let it change him. He was the one that was in charge from a Jewish standpoint of everything that went on. He was the pope of God's church at the time. All right? Let me just, let me just help you with it that way. He was the high priest. So he was the guy who once a year went into the Holy of Holies and offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. What we know about Caiaphas is that he lasted for 18 years in the office of high priest. The average was like three or four years. It was, it was a, an elected position from everybody else, and he lasted for 18 years, which meant either he was really good or he was really powerful, or maybe some combination of the two. But of all the people who should have been changed by the cross of Jesus, Caiaphas never was. He never allowed it to happen because Jesus posed a threat to the kingdom of Caiaphas. Caiaphas at the cross with pride. From the moment Jesus began his ministry, people were drawn to him like a magnet. 
okay? I mean, he, he performs miracles. Anybody performs miracles, people are going to go see, right? I understand that. But the church leaders couldn't figure it out. And he offered this fresh teaching and with such authority that the religious leaders couldn't compete with it. And the people raved about Jesus. He was brilliant. And he was fun to be around. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Andy Stanley said, people who are not like Jesus liked Jesus. There was something about him that drew everyone to him, even the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And that made the religious leaders very uncomfortable. And he became such a sensation that the Bible says, the Pharisees said to one another, look how the whole world has gone after him. They were so jealous of Jesus that even Pilate knows it. When the trial is going on, Pilate knew it was Matthew 27. Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to them. And every time Jesus stood up to them and said, No, woe to you, you hypocrites. You're doing this wrong. Let everybody into the kingdom. This is not about you and your rules. Every time he did that, they became, the people became more impressed with Jesus and the rulers became more furious with Jesus. And at first their hostility was just personal, but then it started going into some strategy. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing miraculous signs. <laughs> if we let him go on like this, like they had a choice, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take our place and our nation. Uh-oh, you see what's happening here? The kingdom is in conflict. My kingdom and his kingdom. Our place or his place. Our nation or his nation. Do you see that? So what did they do? Well, they did what all of us do. When we start to lose power, they tried to grab a hold of it by any means possible. Listen, friends, i got to warn you. The cross is a place where kingdoms collide. That's why some people deal with it, some people don't. That's why some people allow the transforming power of Jesus to come in, and some people don't. Kingdoms collide. They did not. So from that day on, John said, they plotted to take his life. You are going to have to decide if you're going to follow Jesus or try to keep it from happening. There's no in-between place. The kingdom of God is going to go on with or without you, but you're going to have to decide. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up and said, you know what, it's better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. In other words, it's us versus him, guys. It's pretty honest. So they, the church board, all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists. They said, prophesy. And the guards took and beat him. If you read that verse the way I, I, I think it's meant to be read, what this means is that it was the church leaders themselves, the Sanhedrin, in their jealousy, who were the first ones to start taunting and abusing Jesus. The soldiers saw it and just jumped in. I mean, they're, they're used to doing that with criminals. I don't think they'd ever seen the religious leaders ever do that before. It's almost unfathomable to me. These religious leaders, these, these men of the cloth, right, the pillars of community, are beating Jesus up. They're mocking him as if to prove that they have won. What, what do you see there? Kingdoms in conflict. That's all it can be. What you see there is true character. 
And I, I'll say it again, the cross won't change you if you don't let it. Fascinating thing about Caiaphas and his friends is they didn't stop after he died. Throughout the book of Acts, they are the ones who are persecuting the disciples, persecuting the church, having them arrested and imprisoned and beaten and even stoned. Acts 8 says a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And that was where they stoned and killed Stephen. Who knows if Caiaphas was there or not, but it was that group of people. That's where that was going. And, and instead of going away, Jesus' story and his reputation just kept getting bigger and bigger, and Christianity just kept spreading. But Caiaphas himself never gave up trying to stop the kingdom of Jesus. Fascinatingly, in March of 1992, a construction crew in Jerusalem unearthed an ancient tomb, a burial vault, and they believe it to be the tomb of Caiaphas. That's what it said on the outside, and all the evidence pointed to it, that it was literally the burial vault of Caiaphas, the high priest who condemned our Lord to death. Caiaphas, who was so powerful, who was so spiritual, <laughs> who was so in charge, who didn't want to allow the cross to change him. And they found it. You know what they found in his tomb? His kingdom. All that was left of it. Some bones. His remains. Everything that was left of his kingdom. Fascinating contrast to realize that Caiaphas himself would have been one of the ones to go to the tomb of Jesus once the story broke and everybody started freaking out. And what did they find in there? Nothing. Folded up grave clothes. One kingdom's going to win in the end, okay? You just have to decide what you want to do with it. What did they see at the cross with pride? Couldn't let it go. Kingdoms in conflict. What did he see at the cross by force? Open-minded, changed his life and his family forever. What did he see at the cross by duty? Surely this was the son of God. No idea what happened to him. I hope he did something with it from there. What about you? I mean, the cross is here. What are you going to do with it? Will it transform you? What's it, what's it going to be? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that most everybody in this room, myself included, could use a little transformation today, right? And the cross is here. Jesus said, I read this a few weeks ago, believe in me and, what I, and, the, and when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, believe in that. Or at least, okay, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. That's what we're doing during this series. We're just, we're just going back to the evidence. And who, who's the evidence? It was the witnesses. I just want you to know it, we're here for you. If you would like to talk to somebody about this, we have prayer tables at all of our campuses um, I'd, love for you to, I'd love for you to be a part of it. I'd love for you to, to just pray with somebody to get a hold of it. And if you're worried that this is a, a church that isn't going to understand your background and where you come from, can I just show you my beer? <laughs> it's not my beer, okay? No. But someone in our church, um, shockingly related to the new Linux campus, is a microbrewer, and they made their own IPA. And it's, you probably can't see it, but 
It's a picture of Caiaphas on the front. And the, wine, and the, and the, the beer's called Bitter Pharisee. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's available in stores, but it cracks me up. Listen, um, it's, it, it's up to you what you do with the kingdom. You, you can fight it. You can fight against it. You can say, no, this is my kingdom. They're going to take our place and our nation. He's going to take out my place and my nation. Absolutely, he is. You're going to have to understand that you're going to have to give that up and submit to the God of the universe. But I promise you, I promise you, if you'll let that happen, it will change you now and forever. Max Cato says there's just something about the cross It just seems to demand a choice. You either step towards it or you step away from it. It's a watershed. It's the continental divide. You're either on one side or the other. A choice is demanded. The one thing we can't do is walk away neutral. There's no fence sitting permitted. The cross in its absurd splendor doesn't allow for that. You're going to have to make a choice. Let's pray. Lord, if there are... um, some bitter Pharisees listening right now. We all tend towards that. We all tend towards coming to you with pride and thinking that our way is right and thinking that we don't want to give up our place in our nation. And I pray that you will help us to understand that someday they're going to find my kingdom in a box somewhere and your kingdom is going to be the only one that matters. And Lord, I pray for those who may be here by force, or maybe they grew up with that kind of a thing, and, and, and it, may have been, it may have been just wrong. It may have been way worse than whirly bird hats. It, it may have been just wrong, but, but somewhere along the line, they, they, they've got this feeling that the cross is there. Whether they wanted to be there or not, they, they know that at some point they need to make a decision for themselves and for their family, and I pray for them, and I pray for For those of us who are just coming right into the middle of us, right into the middle of it, we're just just that centurion, we're at the cross by duty. All we can do is look at the facts. And I just pray that you'll help us to open-mindedly look at the evidence, to believe that you and the Father are one, or at least believe the evidence of the things that went on, believe the evidence of the testimony of what happened. Lord, if there are people that need prayer. Let them talk to somebody today. We're going to do baptisms in a couple of weeks on Palm Sunday. There's, there are people in here, you're pricking their heart right now saying, hey, in a couple of weeks, you need to do this on Palm Sunday. You need to make this commitment, make this thing happen. Submit your kingdom to his kingdom. I just pray that you'll be with them as, as they're processing all that. And Lord, for all of us, let us live in the cross's power and quit fighting it. Let that happen today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.